It's a Wednesday, and that means we have the chance to talk it over with Brian Walton of thecardinalnation.com. Lots of minor league news to get to. Also, recap of what happened with the Cardinals last night. As always, we're brought to you by Blue Tail Medical Group. Great alternative prior to surgery. They have the ability to show you your ability to heal yourself before surgery. Doctors all over the world are talking to Doctors Bayes, Crane, and Wolf at Blue Tail Medical Group. And you can find out more at bluetailmedicalgroup.com. And let's say uh, good afternoon to Brian Walton of thecardinalnation.com. How's it going, Brian? Great, Dan. It's uh, always a pleasure here to talk about Cardinals baseball. Well, last week you were down in Jupiter, and I want to get into that in just a moment. But I want to get your impressions of the Milwaukee Brewers. After watching the game last night, and seeing Burns, then Boxberger, then going to Devin Williams, then going to Josh Hader, seeing a revamped lineup that I wouldn't even put, uh, let's say, uh, Yelich or Kane, who I normally would say, oh, yeah, those two guys first on my list. Not that they're not good. They're very good. But, man, they've added to their lineup. I I can see why, uh, if you follow the Milwaukee Brewers, you're pretty high on this team. That's a very good team. You know, I hate to throw his words back in his face, but John Mozalak often talks about being opportunistic. And if you look at what the Brewers have done in putting together their team, that's exactly what they've done. They had a good young pitching staff already with Burns and Woodruff and Peralta, uh, guys who've stepped forward to another level this year. And then, of course, the bullpen guys that you, you hit it on. But they also went out and got some position player piece, pieces that they needed, not just in the offseason when they picked up Colton Wong on the rebound, uh, you know, a tremendous addition and a big blow for the Cardinals to have lost. Uh, but also then, you know, a couple of players, uh, other players in, in their uh, infield and outfield, obviously Garcia and, and um, um, Willie Damas. So, you know, the Brewers have really done a nice job of putting together a team that seems to have meshed very well. And, you know, they're playing baseball that is befitting for a team that has a, a runaway lead in the division right now. And, of course, Brian Walton is uh, very attuned to what's happening in the minor leagues. You just spent some time down in uh, Palm Beach, so watching Palm Beach play. uh, A lot of young players and, obviously, where the Cardinals train for spring training. So, uh, number one, I hope it wasn't too hot for you, Brian. I I always worry about you there. But I digress. Uh, Let's talk about the baseball and what you saw and who you're able to visit with. What was the experience like for you? Yeah, for me, the timing of the visit was to coincide when Palm Beach was home so that I could also see the Florida Complex League Cardinals play during the day. And that's the what used to be the Gulf Coast League. And the Cardinals played things differently this year with their draft class. They brought all the players and there's 24 players between the the players who were drafted and the non-drafted free agents that were signed. They brought them all into Jupiter and they assessed their of you know physical status after playing wherever they played in spring whether it be high school or college and the position players were the first to go out and all of those with the exception of Joshua Baez the second rounder uh, all went to Palm Beach and in Palm Beach it's this weird season where the beginning of the year they had the backlog of guys who were drafted last year the Jordan Walkers and Mason Wins who were getting their first professional action Uh, They had a guy from 2019 who was getting his first action, Tommy Jew, an outfielder who had been hurt the previous year. So they had a lot of guys that were, you know, getting their feet on the ground, but did well and and moved on. There's half a dozen hitters, uh, Todd Lott, Koperniak, others who who moved forward from Palm Beach, and you sort of had this big hole in their offense. And they were filled then by 
uh, players who were drafted this year um, in, in 2021 and, and free agents as well. Guys like Thomas Francisco, Osvaldo Taval, and Mike Antico, Elijah Cabell, et cetera, Ryan Holgate. So right now, manager Jose Leon is really trying to figure out how to you know, deal with this transition where a bunch of his team turned over. And on the pitching side, it's just extremely young. You've got, uh, I don't know, half a dozen teenagers and 20-year-olds, many of them from the Dominican Academy, who had never pitched in the U.S., let alone full season ball. So the Palm Beach Cardinals have not had a winning year, uh, but they're, you know, really making changes on the fly in terms of indoctrinating and, and getting all these um, young men to play baseball the way the Cardinals want. Well, the Cardinals announced today, I'm not sure if you saw this, but they'll have a 30-game Grapefruit League slate uh, beginning on Saturday, February 26th, Brian. February 26th will be their first game, so that would mean they would report, let's say, that's 10 days, the 16th. I mean, you're talking about the 12th or the 13th that the club would report. It just seems like it gets started earlier and earlier as we look ahead to 2022. Yeah, the, the players, you know, typically after winter warm-up, which occurs, as many fans know, occur over Martin Luther King weekend, typically the, the second or third weekend of, of January, then players start thinking about reporting to Jupiter. And we always, you know, read about the pitchers that get down there earlier even than that. Um, you know, the hope just is that the very, very meaty issues that remain between owners and players to settle the terms of the new uh, uh, cooperative bargaining agreement are in place such that players can actually report to camp next February. That's my biggest worry, Dan, that we won't see baseball right away in 2022 because of the labor problems that are going to come to a head this winter. Yeah, they will come to a head. I am uh, going to be optimistic and positive, and hopefully uh, we're talking baseball on the 26th, at least a Grapefruit League game next year. I am curious with the CBA, you lead me into this. You know, there's been so much talk about the minor leaguers needing to get more, whether it's in pay or accommodations, those kind of things. And, uh, and you know, the CBA comes around, they say, well, we got to do more for the minor leaguers. And then it just kind of gets put off to the side as both sides kind of give and take. And all of a sudden the minor leagues are kind of left out, you know, in, in the negotiations to a, to a point. I'm curious what you think about that going into the CBA and if, at all minor leaguers will be brought up and just trying to take care of players a little bit better. Well, Dan, I'd love to join you in being optimistic, but the reality is that the negotiators at the table for this bargaining agreement are major league baseball representing ownership and the major league baseball players association led by Tony Clark. And they represent the players that are in the major league baseball players organization. And you don't get to join the Major League Baseball Players Organization until you're a major leaguer. So long-winded way of saying on my part that the minor leaguers do not have any representation at the table. And, you know, Tony Clark says the right things when minor league issues come up. But when push comes to shove, he's, got, he's worried about uh, free agency for his players. He's worried about when uh, arbitration hits and the managing of service time, uh, the issue of the designated hitter you know, just whole bunches of other things and minor league, the needs of the minor leaguers just aren't going to be high enough on the priority list, I predict, uh, to, to get any traction. So, you know, they, they've got enough other issues that they've got to solve. Unfortunately, it's not going to be that group that's going to solve, uh, you know, any of the longstanding pay and condition inequities in the minor leagues. 
there has been some progress in the last year or two as more and more people get attuned to you know how far behind the minor league players were in terms of compensation and benefits and conditions but there's still a long 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 way to go absolutely um right now at the level that you were watching last week at jupiter there's a lot of different rules uh, that we've talked about being instituted in the minor leagues and really using that as a test ground for some of these uh, different rules, whether it be the, the shift at one level, bigger bags at another, or where you were at, which is the electronic strike zone. So I, I'm curious because it is something that is brought up a lot. We've seen it in the Arizona Fall League. If an umpire's having a bad night and that box on television shows it, uh, you hear a lot of grumbling. So, number one, how did it work? So maybe describe that. And what, I don't think it's used for every game. I thought it was just used for one out of every five or whatever the series is. I could be wrong. But uh, just your your thoughts on, on the electronic strike zone, how it works, and then some of the rules. Are we seeing evidence that some of this stuff may be used in uh, Major League Baseball moving forward? Yeah, I don't know about the last question, Dan. You know, it's going to be – how the reports come in and how major league baseball analyzes it. And frankly, you know, those are some of the things that are going to come up in those CBA negotiations as well, between the players. And, you know, it'll, a lot will depend on the player's appetite to accept change. The thing that was most notable to me in this trip, Dan, was the automated balls and strikes. And there's a guy, you know, sitting there. Uh, I think he's in the press box with a, with a monitor and he's directly mic to the, to the home plate umpire, the home plate umpire, you can see has the, you know, has the pack on his back where he's, you know, wired in. And it wasn't noticeable all the time. Uh, and by the way, just to digress for a second, things like the, the pitch clock and the time between innings, all that's seamless. It's really, you know, you're not even really paying attention to it anymore. But, they, but there were a couple of occasions, one of them when Austin Dean, uh, who folks may know, got called up to St. Louis yesterday when Dylan Carlson went on the injury list. Uh, Austin Dean was rehabbing with Palm Beach <clears throat> as he was coming back from uh, hamate bone surgery on his hand. And he was at the plate and uh, was a, a two and two count, as I recall. Uh, no, two one count, as I recall. And uh, the three one count. And the pitch came in and Dean thought it was ball four, dropped his bat, started to walk to first. And only after he had a step or two toward first base did the home plate umpire made the call that the pitch was a strike. <laughs> so Dean, you know, picked up his bat, came back to the plate. And the exact same thing happened on the three two count. He got rung up but not until after Dean had already stepped out of the box. And so that delay that was built in um, was, you know, was an issue, was an obvious issue that uh, in real life, there's no way that an umpire would have taken that long to, to call a pitch. So I think there's long-winded way of saying, I think there's still some, some bugs to be worked out uh, in that system. Did I you did think see one other thing in Palm Beach, which was encouraging to me. And that was that the uh, Lakeland Tigers, the Detroit team was playing, uh, had a home run that, just curled around the foul pole in right field in uh, in Roger Dean, and it was initially called a home run. Uh, the the Cardinals manager, Palm Beach manager Jose Leon, uh, questioned that. The two umpires talked, and they ultimately reversed the call. So, you know, their umpires aren't going to be completely taken out of the game. Is the point I'm making? But you know, some of these new ideas maybe are going to need a little more work. Was the uh, strike zone consistent by your vantage point? You know, it didn't look any worse than it was with any umpire, but you know, you know, there are some umpires that are very good at calling balls and strikes and there's data that shows a number of umpires are not. And I didn't see any calls that I thought were egregious, but to be honest with you, I'm either up in the press box, I'm behind the plate taking photos or I'm down a baseline. So I didn't spend a lot of time analyzing, 
but I didn't see a lot of arguments uh, going on between uh, players and umpires, maybe because they know it doesn't do any good. One of the uh, guys you said you have to ask me about is Ivan Herrera, one of the top catching prospects uh, in baseball, and uh, he's in the Cardinals minor league system. What's going on with him? Yeah, Ivan Herrera has been at Springfield all year. Um, you know, again, pushed up to a new level this year, um, but still just 21 years old and playing in double A baseball. He's just, in fact, he just uh, turned 21 in June. And Ivan Herrera had a pretty rough, you know, first half, if there was a half to the year, um, but has come on really, really well in August. Uh, four home runs in 11 games, uh, 960 OPS. And Herrera was a guy where guys like um, Walker and Wynn, you know, surged forward this year and moved up in our prospect list. Guys like Herrera and Zach Thompson ratcheted down a couple of spots. But, you know, it's really nice to see Herrera step up and play well at double A because, you know, obviously the Cardinals are still trying to figure out what to do with the catching position. And Yadier Molina may be back another year, which makes you wonder what Andrew Kisner's future is. And it could be that Herrera will be able to step up and say, yeah, I can be that heir apparent and potentially enable the Cardinals to do something different with Andrew Kisner this winter if they so choose. If people forgot, and I'll wrap it up with this, September call-ups are different. It's not like anybody on the 40-man, come on up. Uh, it's a different deal. So uh, maybe explain how that works for fans. Also, uh, do you see anybody being called up by the Cardinals? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, you talk about the 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 labor trade-offs. We were talking about that earlier in our, in our chat here, Dan. And one of the trade-offs that was made was, as, as folks recall, uh, a year ago, they expanded active rosters to 26 players from 25. Well, at the same time, baseball decided no more with the up to 40 players allowed, up to the entire 40-man roster up in September. We're only going to allow two players. And while that those were viewed as separate issues, they kind of balance out money-wise, and I doubt it's a coincidence because guess what? You know, they have to pay another player a minimum of half a million plus dollars a year at the major league level, and they can recoup that expense by having only two players up from 26 to 28 instead of the Cardinals averaged, uh, I went back and looked at the data, somewhere between six and eight call-ups every September. So instead of six or eight, you only have two. So it'll be interesting to see if the Cardinals bring up relievers. Uh, of course, the three batter minimum um, makes puts less of a premium on having a large bullpen. They certainly need help with the bat. Uh, but the reality is, you know, the cupboard's pretty bare at AAA Memphis in terms of any potential impact hitters to call up or they would have been called up already. Um, you know, we saw um, Justin Williams earlier in the year. He's on the injured list. Uh, other than he and Ali Sanchez, there are no AAA hitters uh, that are on the 40-man roster right now. You know, folks would be interested to see a Nolan Gorman or maybe a Juan Yepes. I, I really doubt they're ready. And on the pitching side, you know, it's the same suspects that are candidates. Uh, Woodford, Oviedo, Angel Rondon on the bullpen side, Fernandez, Elledge, Whitley. Um, so, you know, there's not going to be probably, you know, and they could, they, could gamble, they could roll the dice and say bring, you know, Matthew Libertor up uh, for a month. But that'll a lot will depend on the condition of the rotation. You know, will Miles Michaelis be able to come back? Will Kim be able to play some kind of a role? Uh, you know, there's you know still those open questions about the strength of the rotation as they head into the final month. Libertor, very good last night, by the way. Seven innings, uh, nine strikeouts. I believe it was a couple of walks and maybe allowed one run, Brian, I think. But uh, hitting, you know, mid-90s on his fastball, able to locate it in on righties, and by all accounts looked pretty good last night. So 
The, yeah, it's a second. It's a second straight uh, good outing for Libertor. His his ERA this month is under three in three starts, and so you know, and he's pitching deep into games, two seven innings outings. So you know, he's definitely showing that hey, I've you know, I've turned the corner and I'm ready to contribute. And again, on the the call ups. So what's the max on the roster that a team could have? Again, it's 28, Dan. Yeah. But the other the other interesting factor is that it used to be that the minor league seasons would end at Labor Day. And yeah, a couple of the teams might go in the playoffs, but basically all the AAA players go home. Well, this year, because they were they started the minor league season a month late, instead of starting uh, the first Tuesday in April, they started the first Tuesday in May. Because of that, the minor league season is going to go until September 18th, I believe the date is. So the point I'm making here is that the guys, the two extra guys they call up on September 1st might not be the same two extra guys that are on the roster on September 18th. So the Cardinals will have some flexibility because Memphis will still be playing to shuffle more players on the the I-55 shuttle. Absolutely. Uh, I subscribe to it. I tell all the listeners, make sure you do it because you get this kind of insight every single day, 365 days a year at thecardinalnation.com. What are you working on right now, Brian? Well, there's I've, I've uh, posted a lot of the information that I got from Jupiter, including video of the first rounder, Michael McGreevy against Joshua Baez, better, better pitcher. Um, a lot of insight on the things I picked up and talking to scouts and officials on the backfields down in Jupiter. Um, and then have had started a series of interviews. I've interviewed both the manager of the Florida um, Complex League Cardinals and Palm Beach manager. Also got some player interviews coming up. Um, competitive balance round uh, pick Ryan Holgate. Uh, Gordon Graceffo, the fifth rounder, uh, Levi Prater, uh, big left-hander that the Cardinals picked up, big signing that the Cardinals had out of last year's draft. So still have some news from the Jupiter trip that's still going, uh, still to become, as well as our daily minor league recaps, the reports from all the affiliates. And I do want to say that the Cardinal Nation prospect guide uh, with a lot of both current and historical information about the Cardinals minor leagues, the draft, the international program, I've got about a dozen books left. I've dropped them by 20%. So if you want to get your copy of the Cardinal Nation 2021 Prospect Guide, uh, come over and we'll get it out um, free via uh, USPS Priority Mail. Awesome stuff, Brian. Thank you so much. We'll catch up next Wednesday. Take care, Dan. That's Brian Walton of thecardinalnation.com. And again, we're brought to you by Blue Tail Medical Group.